and welcome to episode 36 of Sequel Pitch, a podcast in which four film enthusiasts get together to pitch sequels to movies that don't have them. My name is Ross and I'll be your host this week and with me as ever is a man that is more beautiful than Sam Baldwin, it's Matthew Rushton. <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. With him is a man that, much like Walter, is an endearing, lovable man. It's Andy Henry. Oh, Aww. thank you. Thank you very hashtag, much. Hashtag uh, uh, Justice, Justice for Walter. Walter. Justice oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <Damn> right. <laughs> and lastly, a man that, much like Jonah, just wants everyone to be happy. It's Drew Toynbee. <laughs> I do. We are... Uh, getting all loved up this week. We're getting all loved up in preparation for Valentine's Day. Um, and we are doing the 1993 romantic comedy Sleepless in Seattle, which was kind of chosen by Sam, really, last uh, episode. Uh, we were sort of umming and ahhing about what ep- uh, what sort of romantic comedy to do, and he literally said that, and we went, okay, yeah, let's do that. Why not? Uh, so thanks, Sam. Uh, cool. So, in case you haven't seen it, uh, we do a 60-second synopsis, uh, or around about that time. Um, so, here we go. After Chicago, after Chicago architect Sam Baldwin loses his wife Maggie to cancer, he and his eight-year-old son Jonah start a new life in Seattle, but they continue to grieve. A year and a half later on Christmas Eve, Jonah calls in a radio talk show and persuades a reluctant Sam to go on air to talk about how much he misses Maggie for some reason, forces him to almost. Thousands of women from across the country uh, uh, who hear the program and are touched by the story right to Sam. One of the listeners is Annie Reed, a Baltimore Sun reporter who is engaged to Walter, hashtag uh, just a <laughs> but feels that there is something missing from their relationship. After watching the film An Affair to Remember, Annie writes a letter suggesting that Sam meet her on top of the Empire State Building on Valentine's Day. Ah, She decides not to uh, mail it, but her friend and editor Becky does it for her and later agrees to send Annie to Seattle. I wish my editor uh, just <laughs> sent me on uh, work trips yeah. to places where I want to go on a date with someone. That's great. Uh, Sam begins to date a co-worker, Victoria, whom Jonah dislikes for no reason whatsoever. Uh, Jonah reads an a- Annie's letter and likes that it mentions the Baltimore Orioles. Orioles. Um, Oreos. Oreos. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he fails to convince his father to go to New York to meet Annie. Damn. On the advice of his friend Jessica, Joni, Jonah replies to Annie, agreeing to the New York meeting. While dropping Victoria off at the airport for a flight, Sam sees Annie exiting from her plane and is mesmerized by her. That's such a weird bit as well, because why would the drop-off for the plane yeah. be where everyone gets on the plane? Anyway, um, uh, although he has this no was, idea who she is. This was pre-9-11. This was just when you could just wander around an airport and just do whatever you want. This is true. Uh, Annie later secretly watches Sam and Jonah playing on the beach together in a really 
kind of weird scene. Oh, it's stalkery. It's, it's weird. Sweet. It's sweet. Uh, <laughs> the next day, she goes again to Sam's houseboat, but when she sees Sam's sister Susie with him, she mistakenly assumes Susie is his girlfriend. Sam recognizes Annie from the airport and says, Hello! But Annie only responds with, Hello! Before leaving. <laughs> she returns to Baltimore and then goes to New York to meet Walter for Valentine's Day. With Jessica helps... Uh, with Je- Jessica's help, Jonah flies to New York, which is totally fine. <laughs> and it, again, it's the 80s, 90s, yeah. whatever, and goes to the Empire State Building to find Annie. When Sam discovers this, he grabs a later flight, follows Jonah, uh, whom he finds on the observation deck. Uh, meanwhile, Annie sees the skyscraper from the Rainbow Room where she is having dinner with Walter and confesses her doubts to him. Amicably kind of they end their engagement she rushes towards empire state building and arrives on the observation deck just moments after the doors to the elevator close with sam and jonah inside the observation deck is empty but annie annie (laughs) discovers the backpack jonah left behind uh she pulls out jonah's teddy bear from the backpack sam and jonah emerge from the elevator to retrieve it and the three meet after Sam and Annie stare at each other in recognition, Sam prepares to leave and offers his hand to Annie. The three then enter the elevator together and the doors close with Jonah smiling. Ah. So what did we think, everyone, about Sleepless in Seattle? It's it was fun. fun. <laughs> it's a funny one. It's, it yeah. starts off very weird. I mean, it starts off with a funeral, and it says, yeah. "Your mom's dead." That's she the first died. line. Uh, yeah, which is a bit weird. What um, a great way to do exposition, though, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. but what Get a way into there. a rom com as well. Just mummy's dead. Yeah, no one can stop it. And that kid is so in. I, the message it sends is a really odd one because it's like. No, you, this guy needs to. This guy definitely needs to move on. It's been a year and a half. He can't. He can't grieve anymore. Yeah, Get over surely it. not. Yeah, surely yeah. this man can't can't be happy without a wife. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I says like... the ten year old. Says the ten year old and some weird radio host. Well, yeah, I, I, I think the adults in the room can probably go. Yeah, he can probably grieve for as long as he mm. wants. Yeah, this is this is back in the time I think it's the nineties where the 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 films a lot of the times the kids were smarter than the adults, <laughs> like in a like Parent Trap or anything when you're just like oh if they just listened if he just read that letter that Jonah gave them you know maybe yeah. it would be the all difference right. With but... that is that those kid that trope is very much of kids movies and this isn't a kids movie <laughs> like this it feels like it should be. But but it it feels like a kids movie. It is it's it's a it is a bizarre thing. I I I feel like I feel like the message of him having to move on charitably. I saw it as the filmmaker or the the people who made the film and who wrote and the writers saying no, this is just us saying like people lose spouses and actually people are capable of having more than one more than one great love in their life. And that's yeah. a perfectly lovely message, but it is fucking weird. <laughs> this film is weird. Yeah. And it's, it's so not what I was expecting either. I was expecting it to be a, a sort of dramatic yeah. rom-com. 
by the books almost. That's what I was expecting. Well, yeah, and certainly more emotional and more raw, especially given the fact it opens on a fucking two, like Tom Hanks and his eight-year-old, or at that point, six-and-a-half-year-old son stood looking at the casket of of, (laughs) um, the dead Bond girl, whose name I've forgotten. Carrie Lowell, thank you, Carrie Lowell. And and then it's just kind of in in rocks Meg Ryan just being like the 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 proto manic pixie dream girl who's just flitting around being kooky and like, herself in the car. Yeah. yeah, it's just yeah, and all the way through this movie, I just find myself I found myself going, I I really shouldn't like this, but it's <laughs> fucking charming. Yeah, but it's only charming because of the performances. That's what I was going to say. If you like, if you take everything else away, it's 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 weird. Like, why is it weird? I saw it had it had two. It was a movie that had two stories. One, it was very good because it kept. It was a rom com that actually kept the uh, the two lovers out. They didn't meet for ninety nine percent of the movie, which is you know unheard of, I guess, in a rom com or anything. But Mm. that which was pretty good. But so they had to follow their own. There was two stories in one movie i thought and neither of them like concluded well yeah one was tom hanks kind of getting over his wife and then uh meg ryan annie was kind of like like i don't know experiencing cold feet or and then dumping like it i i yeah it's just weird because they didn't it didn't end i don't think on like a like a full stop you can end okay. it on a, on okay. a it could I anything. I have to speak. No, I, I've it's listened just, to you perhaps no, long it, enough. It didn't um, end. It was... the, I think oh, we're no, something like that's this, quite clever about yeah. this movie. And I think it actually takes the piss out of rom-coms a bit. Like, they make the point, when she's sat there on the sofa with her mate, and she's like, you're in love. You're not in love. You're in love in the Hollywood way. Like, yeah. she makes the very specific point that... You don't want to be in love. You want to be in love in a movie. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's exactly yeah. what this film is doing. It's like, yeah. this woman is stalking this guy with his kid who has ah. just grieved. She's never met him. She's only ever heard him on the radio. Like, it's all a bit of a, you know, the adult side for the adult humor. This is a PG film. It's meant to be a family friendly film, I guess. Like, for the adults, it's meant to be uncomfortable because it's weird that this is how they romanticise things in Hollywood and this is how they put it out there to kids. The kids will find it enjoyable on a very top level, but we can see the depth behind it. And I think that that's actually intentional. Whether or not it was, it's up to Nora. I don't think when it first came out... When it first came out, I don't think that was how it was uh, well, received. And but I like, mean, that's a good way of looking I, yeah, at it. I, I, I agree to a certain extent. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree too that that is a sensible read of it, and and that it is explicit in the text of the movie that they're saying you want you want to be in love in a movie. But then it does all fucking work out at the end. Mm. So, mm. so yeah. we don't know. We only see him get in an elevator and go down. Is, we don't know. That they're yeah. probably like. This they might be fighting at the bottom of that edit. Yeah, when the doors open, they're just like, oh, "I fucking already hate you, Jesus Christ." That is, I mean, yes, fine, whatever. We can say yeah. we can say whatever we want happens after the movie ends, but explicitly <laughs> in the text, they are holding hands after having seen each other yeah. across a room twice, and are and they do a lot. Of, they they rely a lot <laughs> yeah. on fate and signs and destiny, which I think rom coms do a lot as well. Which I don't know if they like. I don't know if they could have gone in more, or they maybe I'm just thinking of my sequel. But surely um, going in more go fate and signs would make it more weird for you, Andy. Like, you're saying that it's already weird well, enough. Well, like, I think she had more, like, 
fate or signs or destiny with Walter. And maybe that's just because we didn't see, obviously, her and Tom Hanks kind of actually interact. But when she's in the car and she says magic at the same time as Tom Hanks and stuff, and she maybe has that first, like, ooh. Like, she just has so much more with Walter. And, yeah, man, definitely hashtag justice for Walter. Like, it's just... As I say, I can't, I can't, I don't know how to describe this movie because I say there's two stories that I feel just don't they pick up basically right in the middle, and then just don't ever explain anything else, and they just happen to cross. I don't know. I don't know if I agree about that. The the I I like I liked the fact that there was two stories, and then it, eventually they do come together. Like at the end, they literally do. Mm. Um, I don't know. I I liked the fact that you're seeing somebody that's lost a wife and you're it's focusing kind of like on the grief aspect um and tom hanks constantly telling everyone no i don't i don't i'm not re- like i don't want to do anything i don't want to like and there's some really good character moments for tom hanks in this like mm. when he's shouting at his kid and stuff mm. um he shouts at his kid well, a lot though yeah. Like, yeah, he, yeah. He, he, like there is definitely one point where he's like if you shout like that again i'll kill you it's like, that's, that's not an okay thing to say to an eight-year-old dude. I always say that. Uh, <laughs> Love it. Um, and, yeah, and then you've got the Meg Ryan storyline where she's sort of thrust into a relationship that she probably doesn't really... Um, you How know... long has she been with Walter? Was that said? Oh, I know they just got engaged when engaged. we... Yeah, this yeah. was so the early 90s, like... so it could feasibly have only been six months. I loved the dinner scene as well. The dinner scene with uh, Walter and yeah, well, family. He was absolutely yeah. like Bill Pullman. I yeah, watched that was, scene and I was, was just good. like, he's really good. I love Bill Pullman. Yeah. I, I've never seen him in a role that I've not liked him in. Uh, but that was, he was absolutely <laughs> channeling Connell Fer- Colin Firth or vice versa. Oh, like, do you think? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the, some of his mannerisms, I was just like, whoa, <laughs> this is just American Mr. Darcy from Bridget Jones. Like, yeah. And the random... It. Line of the guy going, I'm allergic to bees. Oh, how <laughs> yeah. he bees. was like my second favorite character. I, like, yeah, I was every just... so often he's like, We can't have the wedding in the summer. Why not? Because I'm allergic to bees. And his like <laughs> I straight was face. So yeah. I was waiting oh, for that Chekhov's mm. gun of his allergies yeah. to come back. Yeah. And for yeah. like him to have, go to hospital and for her to have to make a difficult choice of, Oh, oh no, he's 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 sick in hospital, but I was gonna go to the Empire State Building. Oh no, and then Mm. No, no, he's just a he's just a goofy just, dude with some allergies guy, that go away after lines, the first ten minutes. Two of, the movie. of them about bees. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I also like them. the story, uh, the sort of like dialogue scene uh, with her and her mate editor and the other two men co-workers, and they go, "You don't know. It's not written in a book. It's not. It's not in a book. Don't say it's in a book. You don't. You haven't read the book. I haven't read the book. You've read the book. Yeah. That's. I thought that yeah. scene was really good. I thought that was a cool scene." Mm. Um, I think it it's peppered with some weird stuff. Like I I agree, it's it is peppered with a a lot of weird stuff. But yeah, I think the performances of like Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan really like yeah. alleviate, uh, like you know, elevate yeah. it a oh, little definitely. bit. If it's it was too like... un, if it was too lesser people, it definitely wouldn't be considered like a classic. I don't think. Yeah, because I don't think the writing and all that. Lot. Let's say there's some really nice scenes in there, but it's definitely those two that. Uh, I think that I think it's just the the kid that took me out of it for that for for me i don't like the kid i just find i was back I just, and forth i just mm. find it weird like he's like i get that he wants his like 
he wants his dad to be happy and stuff and he feels that he needs to like find someone for him but i don't know <laughs> and then he flips back to going i wish mom was here or whatever like you know <laughs> and he, so, so just like, what do you want bo- kid what do you want <laughs> I think do you want to check someone else, it's, or do you not? It's almost like he's an eight-year-old and his judgment can't be yeah, trusted. Exactly, Every that's the point. And... The point of the mm. kid is he's a kid in this movie. Yeah. He's not the sensible one. He's not the, I... he's not the almighty. He's just not... a kid. <laughs> yeah, just acting like a kid. <laughs> that can I get like on him... a plane in the... Uh, man, yeah, that, I wish I could have gone on a plane in the 80s and just <laughs> sort of flown somewhere. Fuck it, I'm going to Glasgow. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I like how they, they do the exposition of just going, uh, oh, we'll put your age as 12, so that means you they won't ask you uh, if you have an adult, just on this random fucking computer. Like, um, well, I mean, oh, that in- old computer it, was amazing. It's an internal flight, so he wouldn't need a passport. So yeah, mm. it's kind of... I have to bring up the, the, the time true. when Annie's um, uh, stalking or cyber-stalking um, Tom Hanks. And that computer, <laughs> and there's like there's no search engine. It's just a dark screen, and yeah, she basically a... types in data. There's, there's only four. Then... There's only four of him in uh, the, with that name yeah. in well, Seattle. That's very no, no, lucky. No, no. Yeah. I think I think that the suggestion is that it was searching like a database of news articles of, uh... from their like family of newspapers or something because it, the the result that came up for the two of them was the obituary that was in the paper, the announcement of. Maggie's death. Ah, so I okay, think cool. that's what it was. Yeah. But what was that at the time? Would that would have would that be a search? Well, it wasn't engine, the internet. It was nineteen ninety three. Well, that's that's well, what I say. It, like we don't. It's just it's literally a black screen. And she types in like Tom Hanks. Wasn't Google you know, was character it? name. <laughs> she wasn't yeah, Google. Well, that's the thing. What was there, it? Like, there was, was some that, sort of Drew's rudimentary just said, internet. It's the database. Yeah, it, it's so a it's... database of articles from presumably like this is the... yeah this is what we think we're going yeah, to yeah. on that's not real <laughs> there's no computers in 1983 also, i love the very final shot of the cgi empire state building with the with the heart with, with the red heart windows oh, and it's yeah. and it's circling round and it's just like a dot map of 12 lights that make <laughs> yeah. up the rest of manhattan and i was like this is 1993 this is the year spielberg made t-rex look real and this is what we're fucking looking at the fuck is this that was the final <laughs> sign as well that kind of uh took her away from water was those uh that heart on the empire state building but yeah i was like it's valentine's day it's gonna happen like <laughs> if she sat on the other every year <laughs> If she sat with cynic. like the other, this is why you're single. <laughs> but this is the thing where she was like the whole uh, the whole film talking about signs and like destiny and fate and stuff like that. And I was like, is this one of those? Is it one of those, or is it just like a way to get to the end? Basically, I seriously I, think I was, there's more. They of a probably piss do it every year than so... any of us are giving it credit for. It's all a piss take. Like she is stalking him. She crosses the country to stalk yeah. him. But it takes she itself so seriously. On, like, <laughs> that's the thing. It, yeah, it takes itself. She, she has piece. a perfectly good partner. Like, they haven't done the whole, oh, your fiancé's a dick. Like, he's perfectly great for her. Yeah. And yet she's mm. still not happy. Like, that's all intentional. And he is I don't think fine that's done because... After the breakup. That's, like a, that's what you would imagine or really hope, I guess, would happen. Yeah, it is well, no, the he went ideal breakup. Probably chucked yeah, but him like off he, himself he's... off the bridge, didn't he? <laughs> After that. 
Well, you may be in a sequel. You never know. You oh, could be in one of your sequels. Maybe. That's what oh, I would have yes, done if I would have done a sequel. Yeah. I would have done... Walt's hosting Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> no, I would have just had it a total swerve and had it him as a killer and he just goes on the run and just like he just goes postal and just goes killing it. Sleepless 2, sleeping with the fishes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Any, yeah. oh, uh, I think we've exhausted all we can about this film. Yeah. I think it. Um, yeah. Let's go round and have our final thoughts and what you gave it out of five. Starting with to the, my left on my screen is Matt. Let's go, Matt. Okay, I'm gonna give it. Uh, well, I think it's a fun film. It's you know it's got different levels to it i saw different levels to it the kids could enjoy it adults can enjoy it or find it slightly perturbing and disturbing in their own right um but it's a film that i would absolutely recommend and i would absolutely sit down and watch again and enjoy so i'm going to give it three out of five 10 minute car chase sequences with the car and the boat out of five in <laughs> honour of our guest <laughs> host today. When you said car today. like chase scene, I was like, did I miss an awesome scene? And you're like, oh no, it's just uh, slowly following the boat. <laughs> it's because Ross is hosting. Got to pay homage to yeah, our host true, there. True. Oh yeah, you may get points for that. So here Thank you. I'm going to need them. <laughs> Andy, what do you um, think? I, yeah, I thought it was charming. It's nice. It's not going to, like I found, I did, I guess maybe I saw it or took it on surface level. I just I, I saw the messaging a bit weird. Um, uh, you know, just dump a partner because you like someone over the radio. I, it, I, know, I did I did I very much got that feeling. But yeah, but it was good. But I'm gonna give it two uh, light up boats that take twenty seconds to pass the screen out of five. <laughs> <laughs> there that, is a that moment was a in this time padder, wasn't it? I had to like, I, I, I actually <laughs> fucking boat for no reason just passes the screen, and it takes like fifteen to twenty seconds. It's lit up in it at night after I think it's after Tom uh, Hanks puts down the phone call after the yeah, uh, radio, and you know when you skip and it, you can skip ten seconds. I did that, and it was still there, and I was like, Gee, how long is it? That's why I timed it. <laughs> Two terrible light up waste of time boats out of five. <laughs> uh drew i am um, i think well i'm definitely warmer on it than these two and like like i said earlier i kept thinking i shouldn't like it but i really like it and like i'm a sucker for the soundtrack the soundtrack is absolutely fabulous the performances are really just lovely it's really twee uh it, it is it's greater than the sum of its parts, is what I would say. It's still not amazing, but I'm I'm going to give it three point seven five. Nice. Three point seven three point seven five women dressed up as Holly Gennaro from Die Hard on a dinner date. As soon as he shows up on that dinner date <laughs> yeah, with the lady yeah, from work, fair. I was like, oh my god, it's Holly Gennaro! What is going on here? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, cool. It's it's got to be a classic for a reason. Yeah, Even I think I'm going to go a bit, is just it? a bit higher than Matt and a bit lower than Drew. Uh, I'm going to say it is a it is a good movie. I enjoyed it. I didn't, th- uh, you know, there are questionable bits about it, uh, <laughs> um, but I did like the performances and I like some of the dialogue in it. It was quite good. Uh, so I'm going to give it. 
3.5 disappearing Meg Ryan's when a bus goes past or whatever it was <laughs> out of fives. Yeah. That's the same as me, asshole. Oh, no, I thought not. you gave you it three. three. You, th- you said three. Yeah. Point five. You oh, said I heard three. Th- I had three it, as well. It must Listeners? have cut off the point five. Oh. oh, sure it did. For all three of us. That's going to be really awkward. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I want 3.5. Uh, okay. I want it on record now that it's 3.5 out of five. Okay. <laughs> I will match uh, Matt and go... Uh, no, actually, I'm going to go three... I'm going to match Drew and go 3.75. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> you, Matt. <laughs> uh, so yeah, 3.75. What does that give us, Drew? It uh, gives us uh, an average... This is quite interesting. Um, obviously, well, actually, I put in Sab's score as mine. Exactly the same as Joker, 3.25. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, different movies go. in different ways. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, good. So it's a strong... Rec- well, it's not... Well, it's well a three strong, of it's us a, recommend it anyway. Strong yeah. recommendation. <laughs> yeah. you know Should you watch it? Nah, that's all right, I guess. I, yeah. I Just <laughs> looking back up the list, I'm just like, hang on, hang on. <laughs> joker and sleepless in seattle however much i may or may not like them more or less than this movie they are objectively better films than the matrix revolutions which has beat them all by (laughs) 0.1 yeah but we were in a matrix you know theme then we watched all three yeah we were all matrixed up i understand it i understood it better now that i'm i mean now i watched resurrections i would have definitely marked it down even more so like even worse <laughs> i would have given it 1.3 uh but we'll talk about that another time if we ever do uh, resurrections yeah. uh, sequel pitch uh we won't uh <laughs> 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 spat whiskey all over my screen <laughs> Shit. um <laughs> so i th- we've got our scores there so i think it's time to get your sequels pitched. So, as always, you have uh, however long, really, it doesn't really matter, uh, to win me over with your p- pitches for Sleepless in Seattle 2. Um, yes, and then I'm going to ask you some questions at the end, and then maybe in this one, you could all say something good about each other's pitches and, and be loving towards each other, but probably not. It'll end up being even more visceral. Doubtful. Even worse yeah. than it was yesterday. It will turn sarcastic, uh, probably. That's what will happen. Yeah, if you start yeah. loving, go ha- uh, harsh and sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let's go with Andy first. Okay. Andy, what's the name of your movie? Um, oh, I do want to give a, a quick mention to the movie I almost pitched you because <laughs> I, I found it quite hard to to come up with a sequel for this. So I um I tried to uh, think like Ross, uh, and I was going to do one based around the Fast and Furious. I was going to just jam it in somewhere, <laughs> um, and then I was like, you know what? Could I actually do a kind of serious bro rom com about Dom and his car? Like his first love is his car. <laughs> i only thought about like an hour ago and i wish i did now i wrote a yeah. normal one unfortunately otherwise that could have been there would have been Here's no like, advertisement physical... for why you don't do drugs kids my title yeah go for it um uh, so my title is sleepless in seattle 2 what is love and then an open bracket baby don't hurt me <clears throat> don't hurt me no more close bracket <laughs> Uh, my little blurb is this is a love story about a relationship between two people who probably shouldn't be together 
uh, starring Andrew Garfield as Joe and Emma Stone as Kelly. Uh, Notting Hill meets a marriage story, says one critic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this now. We're just giving ourselves reviews on our... Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah fantastic. Yeah. This is like <laughs> superb. Yeah, right. Brilliant. Okay, so we open uh, on the pair sitting in an office. Brian Cranston enters and sits opposite them. He introduces himself as Benjamin and asks how he can help them on this lovely and sunny Valentine's Day. Joe says he wants a divorce and Kelly nods in agreement. And then we have the title, Sleepless in Seattle 2. Uh, and what I've hopefully tried to do is I actually try to reverse the Google standard rom-com formula. Um, what we, so we, uh, we established that we're in marriage counselling and we learn that Joe and Kelly have dated for about two months and then they uh, have been married for two months. Uh, Joe works in comic books and Kelly works as a lawyer. We learn that the pair are too compatible and at the same time not compatible enough. Often uh, moving between fights and fits of laughter within seconds. Half the time they love each other, half the time they want to kill. Benjamin asks how they meet, and we have a flashback to a memory. We're in court, and we see Kelly representing someone who is suing Joe over the copyright of a, com of a comic book character. Uh, we see Kelly say Joe is nothing more than a cheat, a liar, and a bad person. After the session, Joe and Kelly go home because they still have to share a house, and we see them interact with each other, or passive-aggressively kind of, like, interact with each other while trying to keep the peace, while still remembering hurtful things that was brought up during therapy. Uh, uh, as the flashback kind of attack, attack Joe a little bit, this is the time where Joe will kind of say his first impressions of Kelly, which aren't good. This leads to a fight, which lasts most of the night. Uh, the next day, Benjamin notices the bear look tired, and they mention they've had um, and they mention the fight. He asks about the first time they knew they had feelings for the other, or they fell in love. Uh, and then we have a we go back into the court, back into the memory, and Joe is being quizzed by Kelly on the witness stand. He pleads his innocence, and Kelly realizes that something is wrong. She quickly calls for a recess, and she and Joe meet in secret. Uh, like maybe they have to go to a bathroom, and she stealths her way in. Maybe a bit of comedy; she can go through vents or something, or just sneak in. Uh, and they hide in like a bathroom stall. Uh, they talk, and Kelly realizes that she may be trying to sue an innocent man. Joe thanks Kelly and says that his own lawyers don't even believe he's innocent. And maybe we have an earlier scene where we see the only jo lawyers Joe could hire were like bumbling idiots, basically. Uh, they share a moment that they both say is. Uh, they share a moment that the pair both say is when they knew they fell in love, as they knew their first impressions were wrong. In reality, the pair go home again that night, and we see more back and forth, uh, like arguing about what movie to watch, but then remembering something about the movie, which brings up a shared memory, and they both laugh. They order takeout, and Joe asks if something has nuts in it, because he's allergic, and we have a scenario where Kelly is doing something that muffles her voice, uh, so he thinks she says no, but the audience, you know, aren't sure. Uh, Joe eats the food, has an allergic reaction, and they end up spending most of the night in hospital, where they fight about whether Kelly lied to Joe and tried to kill him. Uh, leading to stories more about uh, when they both lie during relationships. During the next session, Kelly talks about how she actually stood up for, co for Joe in court and proved his innocence. Uh, we see her lose the case, obviously get fired, but then is hired, kind of in quotation marks, by the two bumbling idiots. She kind of like takes over their company and actually raises the company and is a pretty good law firm now. Uh, Benjamin then asks Joe how to explain how he proposed to Kelly, leading to a flashback where he sacrifices a new job with a big comic book company that uh, want him to move to Germany. We see him decline the job and then run to Kelly's house where he proposes on the spot. Benjamin tells the pair to spend the night away from each other, so Kelly goes to her single parent's house and gets a single parent's perspective on love and relationship, and Joe stays with his parents that are still together. And they're not going to be... They're not like the typical negative stereotypical like single parent relationship it's just trying to, to prove in the pitch there's a bit of a contrast between the two relationships uh joe we meet joe's parents and this is where we meet tom hanks and meg ryan they're still together way who would have thought 
At dinner, they talk to Joe about love and relationship and remind the audience of the risks that they took to be together. But also, when you know you have something special, it should be easy. We see Joe and Kelly stay up during the night, contemplating their relationship. Once again, they are sleepless in Seattle. They're banned. Uh, in the next session, Benjamin oh, says, uh, in a funny kind of against business, hey, he said the movie, he took the title of the movie. Um, Benjamin says, in a funny kind of against business way, but it needs to be said, he's like, you know what, I actually agree with Joe, what Joe said at the beginning, and you two should get divorced. The pair, the pair fight back a little, uh, so he offers them one last chance to fix their relationship, but if they agree, they have to commit. The pair look at each other, and either out of politeness or because they genuinely, uh, genuinely want to try and fix the relationship, they hold each other's hands and smile. As Ben starts talking about what will happen next, um, the volume uh, fades down and we end on Joe and Kelly's faces as their expressions start to change. No. No. Ah, thank See, the, you. I mean, the Dom car romance would have been a lot better, right? <laughs> yeah, look, only I can do bad things to the Ross CU, okay? Uh, <laughs> all right, cool. Thank you, Andy. I've got some questions for you. Go. Um, do you think that subverting the norms of a romantic comedy detracts from the romantic feel-good nature of these types of movies? No, I think one thing I learned from Sleepless in Seattle, Sleepless in Seattle one is you can kind of have a, a maybe a bad film, but if you have two lead charming characters, you'll want them to be together no matter what. And that's kind of why I've, I've leaned a lot towards Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone because they are very charming and sweet together. So um, you're creating a bad movie uh, and relying no, on Andrew movie. Garfield and Emma Stone. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I learned from a bad movie is that you could just rely on charm. But this is obviously going to be written perfectly and everything. So Okay. I understand. I can't wait for the guys to. Uh, <laughs> Are we going to be nice in our debate, did you say? We've got to love each other. <laughs> um second question what are you saying in your pitch about romance and couples therapy um that, sorry say that again i was distracted by what, my phone uh are you saying in your pitch about mm. romance and couples therapy um nothing about couples therapy i just wanted to tell a story rather than a normal rom-com of people get together and everything's happy i wanted to tell a story where at the end of the movie half the people want them to be together and half the people think they shouldn't be together um so it's just a it's a story about a romance it might not be the one that they you know have the rest of their lives um but yeah it was just just a story i didn't want, i wasn't trying to make a message uh, so maybe people could look at their own relationship and be like well maybe i'm not as happy as i thought but yeah, um that's fine i didn't uh, yeah i wasn't in no uh, yeah so I, I, I wasn't didn't, I, I wasn't uh, trying to make a message or anything with this it was just fair. a nice kind of story that's all right that's cool uh just uh what is the rom-com formula oh the rom-com formula <laughs> yeah so, what is it there's six points um point one is the intros where the audience meets the pair separately uh before yeah. they meet each other which obviously they, in mind they met there we met the characters in together in the uh, marriage cancelling point two is the meet cute where they meet under memorable circumstances and sparks fly they meet in mine uh in court where they hate each other you know and they're yelling against each other and sparks do not fly uh, point three is they fall in love and I had to stick quite close to the formula in this one because it's a rom-com and obviously you have to show Philip's feelings develop uh, point four is the turning point where something threatens to end their relationship uh, this is actually where the relationship basically starts or begins uh, the breakup uh, point five where the couple obviously breaks up or uh, torn apart by their differences 
this is Joe proposing, basically cementing their relationship and not breaking up. And then point six, the happy ending. Uh, the couple resolve the differences, live happily ever after. We don't know if they live happily ever after. Okay, very nice. Uh, and lastly, do you think there's enough there in terms of like meat on the bone in terms of obviously you've got the main bits which are the uh, therapy couple sessions and then you've got bits after but do you think there's enough there yeah i mean it, it, it's not gonna be a massive I was, I was thinking more along the lines of like 500 days of summer i think in this when this movie where yeah again not like a star end it's just like a portion maybe like a week of this couple's life um and yeah, hopefully the idea is the story and obviously the acting and the writing and all that lot is going to be good enough to keep attention and stuff like that. But the story basically is hopefully the, you know, as an audience member, I want them to go, oh, I, you know, I want them to break up. And then 10 minutes later, oh, actually, I want them to stay together. And that's what I'm hoping will drag people out for the three hours that this film will be. No, <laughs> <I guess. laughs> all right. Thank you, Andy. Uh, let's go with Drew next. Uh, Drew, what is the name of your movie? Uh, mine is Dreamer in Seattle. Nice. What's your little blurb? Uh, if you have one, don't worry if you don't. I I don't. I'll like I'll be completely Sorry. honest. Having COVID is causing significant issues in my time management of my life at the moment. Um, so hey, I'm, I don't. You have, don't need a blurb. It's fine. It's. I mean, so the blurb is Jonah grows up, but did the way his father and stepmother meet have a lasting impact on him? It's one of the worst blurbs. Can you imagine <laughs> that on a poster? Bloody hell! Anyway, all right, go for it. Okay, so first off. Imagine this whole thing soundtracked by Michael Bublé, Nora Jones, Peter Cinkotti, like all of the modern swing heroes doing covers of classic songs just because like the music really stood out for me in the original. Uh, the movie stars Chris Evans as a grown up Jonah. So he's sort of 37, 38 ish, I think, from the timeline of the movies. Um, and after his father and stepmother met, uh, because of the radio, he spent his whole life, A, becoming a radio host, because it, he wanted to do that, but B, always ending up alone, because he's always waiting for the perfect woman, and no one ever lives up to it. So, we meet him, it starts off, it's in the summer, we, we see him doing his job, we see a montage of him doing the job, uh, doing his talk radio show, he's going on dates, they're all really witty, lovely women, but there's always something that puts him off, and through it all we see his best friend and radio producer, it's kind of, I am aware that it's in Seattle, and it's a radio host, and his female producer, and that is basically just Frasier, and I can't get around that, um, <laughs> and so his best friend is his producer, June, who is played by Lupita Nyong'o, I think, would be a good fit for this um nice. we see her husband danny she has a young son called sean and jonah's really like friendly with danny but they're clearly very different people um but we see that and and we also see that sean and danny don't get on very well either like they've got quite an awkward father-son relationship going on there um and you see june giving him a hard time of being like you're such a prick like just go and actually just give someone a chance and he never can and the dates are all like, it's always ridiculous things. And I absolutely believe that Chris Evans can pull that off and make it not douchey and make it funny 
and make himself the butt of the joke. And so it comes to the end of summer and uh, Jonah's at a barbecue being thrown by June and Danny. And the, it, it's, it's, it's going quite well, but then it becomes clear that June and Danny are having some issues in their relationship and they have quite a significant fight. And so Jonah kind of grabs Sean and takes him away to play football or play or play catch or something to distract him. And they've got a really strong bond and like Jonah's uncle Jonah and all that kind of stuff. And then June comes over, she's upset and Jonah cheers her up. And we see, as the audience, we see Sean notice how well they get on. And then after June heads off, Sean's like, you and my mum should be together instead. Like my my daddy makes her sad and you love her and she loves you look how well you get on and jonah like laughs it off but then he goes home and that night and he starts having dreams about june and quite quickly we see it progress and like he's not sleeping and he's trying not to sleep because it's freaking him out a bit and again all played for laughs and it starts affecting his work he's distracting at the gym and he falls off a treadmill and and it's it's affecting his work and he's like thinking he's talking to someone and he's on mute and you see everyone sat at home in their in their cars like huh what and classic rom-com <laughs> stuff um and like and he's he's getting more embarrassed and awkward around june and he's having pratfalls and like falling over and being awkward and blah 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 um but then it gets so much he starts talking about these dreams on the show and he keeps all the details really vague but he and he talks about it brings out it's like therapy and it brings out about how his father met his stepmother and he starts wondering if that's why he wants someone perfect and did movies and the media ruin his chances of being happy because he expects too much and blah, blah, blah. And people start really connecting with it. It's really heartfelt and warm. Um, and then he goes to see the family again. They're all hanging out. And Sean tells him he should be trying even harder. And Joan tells him, no, I'm not doing this. This is stupid. And that Sean's parents need to work it out between them. You can see his heart isn't in it. And so Jonah then steps up the messaging and it gets to the point where June starts realizing who he's talking about. And it all comes to a head just before Christmas. And June and Danny have another really big fight and Jonah comforts her after work and they almost kiss in the office when everyone else has gone home. But June leaves and Jonah looks disheartened and then he has the rom-com moment and he gets up and he runs across town in the snow in Seattle. It's probably sleet if it's Seattle, but there we go. And he makes it across town before they go away for Christmas and where she said they're going to work on their marriage. He makes it there. He professes his love. He tells her she's perfect. It's always been her. He just couldn't see it. All of those lines. And she completely shoots him down. And she says he's her best friend. They will always be friends, but that's what they are. And she has a choice in this. And just because he's decided this, that isn't how it has to be, even though he's like pleading and saying, no, this is what it is. She says, no, it isn't. And Danny can be difficult, but she loves Danny and he does his best to be a good father, despite the fact he doesn't connect with his son and she's going to go and work on their relationship and she leaves. And Jonah's heartbroken. He's wandering around in the snow at Christmas. He's on his own. He has an idea. We see him arrive at a front door in Chicago, which is opened by Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. And you have the big, yeah, they're still in it scene. And then they have, they talk through what's happened and they tell him they're sorry they weren't more honest with him about the times their relationship with was hard and he kind of put them on a pedestal and so they played up to it a bit and they never told him that they had to work on their relationship to make it work even though it's turned out really well and tom hanks talks about 
his previous wife Maggie and says even all the things he said when he was a kid about her being perfect doesn't mean she was perfect. He loved her for her imperfections just like he does now with Annie. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, Jonah stays for Christmas. It's all very wholesome and subdued. And he goes home. He goes to see June, Danny and Sean. He, he catches them as they arrive home. He brings them Christmas presents, says Merry Christmas, makes amends with June, goes back to work. He's getting back on top of it. He's just living his life for himself. Um, but one thing that I could have written earlier in this synopsis is that throughout the movie, he has a little catchphrase and he doesn't say it on air, but it's something he says quite a lot in scenes with friends and family. And we see him walk into his, his usual coffee shop and he's ordering a coffee, talking to the barista, and he's saying his catchphrase. And we hear someone off screen saying the same thing at the same time. He looks over and smiles, and that's the end of the movie. Oh, nice. Very nice, very nice. I have some questions for you. Okay. What are you saying in your movie, Drew? What's your message? If there is one, there might not be. There might be just, yeah. No, my, What's your message? My message is kind of in the way that Matt was talking about the first film in the review section that Hollywood relationships are very much Hollywood and I I know that I spent a significant portion of my life from the age of like 14 to a significant age being like oh man girl like I, I want to have I want I want my love life to be like it is in movies and I know the feeling of when you come to the realization that that's not how the world works kind of thing and so yeah. i like i like the idea of reframing the original a bit and still having it feel light-hearted and feel like a comedy and have silliness and all that kind of stuff but the message to be hey you know just because all of the signals are saying this is if this was a movie this is the person you would end up with that's not actually necessarily true and sometimes you've got to learn to make compromises and learn to be happy with what's realistic yeah nice um do you think it doesn't uh do you think that your sequel has enough of a romantic feel uh to it and also uh like a sort of romantic end if you know what i mean I I think so. Like obviously it may not have come across in the pitch particularly well, but when he's talking about his dreams, that is meant to it's meant to make the audience feel like him and Jonah and June on Jonah and June, I why have I only just <laughs> JJ yeah. he's meant it's meant JJ. to make the audience feel like they belong together as well. And and it is it's these mo these deep, funny, sweet, affecting monologues that he comes out with that are obviously, as Andy said about his, going to be impeccably written and incredibly well performed. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it just like in in the in the original, the romance side of it is very one sided, and it's all coming from Meg Ryan, and and she yeah. never actually interacts with Tom Hanks, and so it will effectively be the same framework here. And then the end is in the same way as the first one when the elevator closes suggests that they're going to have their happy ever after. The end of mine is meant to suggest that he is going to try and meet, try and go out and meet women and accept them for who they are, not who he wants them to be in his head. Okay. Thank you. Um, do you think... Uh, you kind of answered it in, in the 
in it, in in the pitch. Uh, Do you worry that Chris Evans will come off a a bit unlikable in this movie at all? Um, Or do you you said that you hope that he's got enough to play with? Where yeah, I I think there's yeah the the beginning. It's all meant to be very good natured. It's not going to be like he's not judging these women on on their physical appearance. It's never anything mean. It's just that they will order orange juice and he likes pineapple juice. And yeah. and then you see him texting June saying, or he gets a text from June and she's like, orange juice again? And he's like, yep, can't do it. And just stuff like that. So it's it's clearly, I would make it so that it was clearly not a judgment on the character of the women that he's going out with at the beginning of the movie. When it comes to his pursuit of June and her shutting him down, again, because I would be intending for it to be framed from the perspective, from his perspective, and tricking the audience into thinking we're building to them being together. Yeah. Hopefully, the moment where she tells him, like, no, I have autonomy in this too, stop telling me we're going to be together, we're friends and I love you as a friend, but I'm going to go and work on my marriage now, wouldn't... I, I would hope that it would be possible to do it in a way that would be a shock to the audience but it wouldn't go on for long enough or have him be desperate or cloying enough to make him look like stalkery or inappropriate yeah. it will just make him look smitten that we and have unrequited love for someone yeah. so hopefully he'll be a more sympathetic character at that point and then he grows out of it at the end as well uh and last question do you think the audience will feel shortchanged with having just Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan just in the end there, or do you think it's enough? I I think it's possible, but I get I I get very lost in movies, and so yeah. I would uh, yeah I may have created an issue for the marketing people potentially. So yeah, <laughs> but I would I would maybe have a couple of shots of them in the trailers and things like opening yeah. the door and looking happy. But Just when, to trick the audience. If, when I watch movies, even it, so if this was a real movie, <laughs> from my perspective, <laughs> if I watched the trailer and I saw Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, and then I sat down, if the movie's good enough, I would forget that they were going to show up. And so when they did, like 70 like, minutes ah. into the movie, I'd be like, oh, yay! Oh, yeah! They were in the trailer, weren't they? And I'm okay <laughs> with that. But yeah, I do appreciate that there would be a risk. And uh, I, I... It... it you're right. It is entirely possible that people would be like, "We came for Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan," but <laughs> yeah. hey. I, I hopefully Chris Evans currently is enough of a draw for <laughs> for people to not mind. I too mean, much. he is a sexy man, so yeah. Uh, thank you, Drew. Thank uh, you. That is all I have for you. And now, last uh, but no means least, Matt. What is your title and what's your blurb? Thank you very much. Uh, my title, I've gone with Sleepless in Seattle 2, Just Tuning In. Uh, <laughs> nice. The sequel sees Jonah Baldwin hosting a podcast along with his younger sister, Grace. Will love blossoms through the airwaves just like it did for their dad? We open on a montage of Jonah, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Grace, played by Emma Roberts, as they host a podcast version of Sleepless in Seattle, the radio show that brought Grace's parents, Sam and Annie, together. We see them in the montage too, Sam and Annie that is, uh, roles reprised of course, and the family look pretty happy. Over the top of it all is the intro song Frank Sinatra's Love. Uh, 
Grace has a partner and she's celebrating her 30th birthday. They announce their engagement. Woo! Uh, the partner plays very little part in the movie. Um, it turns out, though, Jonah is struggling with love. Oh, we all feel bad for him. It's established <laughs> that one of the key ways that their podcast interacts with their fans is through like question posts on Twitter where they ask fans to submit their questions to be read out and discussed in the next episode, very similar to how they did on the radio show. Uh, one day, they receive a question that happens to make it to air, which is, what makes you both happy? Grace immediately talks about re- her relationship and her family. Jonah hesitates to answer, but he kind of laughs it off, being a bit awkward. And he's like, yeah, her relationship and my family too, or something like that. Um, there's musical undertones to, throughout that bit to suggest that he might be lying, suggest he's not quite as happy as he lets on. We then see another little montage of family. Uh, they're all at a dinner. It's fall, so it's autumn time. Uh, it might be Thanksgiving if the timelines allow for it later. Um, and they're all chatty and laughing, and Jonah's quiet and in thought. He's smiling with them, but he's not really interacting. Uh, we then cut to Jonah outside, sat by a fire, and out comes Father Sam. This is the Tom Hanks, Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, acting muscle flexing scene where they have a chat around the campfire uh, they have a heart to heart about love it turns out that Jonah's scared he will meet the love of his life only to lose her he explains he was in love with someone once at college but he was scared of committing to her and not being what she wanted and so he, he kind of pushes her away um, they also talk about mortality uh, and how he's worried now that he may meet someone plan to spend the rest of his life with them uh, and only for him to lose her kind of like like his dad did with Maggie's mum Sam explains there that he's never forgotten his mum that he still loves her and you know he's very happy with Annie his life's worked out uh, and he encourages Jonah to get out there a bit more again we're kind of nodding to the how Jonah encouraged dad to and kind of played him we're not going to have tom hanks be the person who sends in questions though that'd be a bit much i think um so he goes back in and then we see the podcast they start a search for jonas jonas sleepless sweetheart let's call it through the podcast uh they invite single ladies listening to send in their wittiest one-liners and their silliest pickup lines and they receive loads it it essentially kind of helps the podcast to go viral in the process this guy looking for love, people start talking about it. Um, and we see kind of like the Twitter or if we don't want to use brand, the the social media equivalent <laughs> popping off and we start seeing more and more questions and it's again another kind of little montage bit. Um, loads of comments, loads of shares. And then we see them celebrating in the in the weather recording in the studio. Uh, well, it's probably in the bedroom or somewhere. It's not that big. Um, we see them celebrating before Christmas. Uh, we find out it's their last podcast recording before Christmas. And they're doing festive-themed pickup lines. Um, we hear a load of them. And then we see one stand out. We see a shift in the on the screen. Uh, and I have written this one for you. You're welcome. I'm not just bringing my pitch this week, guys. I'm bringing a script. Oh, one stands out. <laughs> have you measured yourself lately? Because I asked for you gift wrap this Christmas. Hey. And Jonah immediately kind of stops laughing. It's meant to be really bad, by the way. Um, Jonah immediately stops laughing and gives a confused frown before going quite quiet. 
Grace then essentially rushes and wraps up the podcast before asking what's wrong with Jonah. It turns out he used to say this line to the college sweetheart that we learned about a bit earlier, and it caught him really off guard. She mocks him for the fact that it's a terrible pickup line, but we can see he's thrown off by it, and she tries to pick him up, and she's like, it could be her, it could be her, you know. He's like, nah, no, it's not. He shuts it down and puts it down just to sheer chance. Uh, Grace, however, isn't convinced. She has other ideas. We learn that it's about two weeks before Christmas, uh, for those listening. Podcasts do record in advance quite often. We do. Um, So, yeah, we learn that it's about two weeks before Christmas. She manages the Twitter account and DMs the person who posted that pickup line, not necessarily pretending to be Jonah, but not exactly saying that she's Grace. She just messages them. We do learn through conversation that it is the old college crush and she's a fan of the podcast. Awesome. At this point, Grace tells her that it's Jonah's sister who's handling the DMs uh, and she wants to help them meet if she's up for it. And yes, she does. She wants to meet. Problem is, Jonah's still unsure, and he has a blowout with Grace. He has a massive argument with her for arranging everything behind his back, for interfering. Um, He falls out with all the family, but then kind of takes himself away, and he has some time to reflect. Feels bad for snapping at his younger sister, realising that all she's ever wanted is for her older brother to be happy. He visits her a day or two, maybe later that night or something, apologises, they enjoy some cliche sibling, like, hanging out time thing, so do they watch a movie and eat ice cream or something, something like that. And she explains everything, she explains the conversation, shows the messages, shows the idea and where they should meet. Uh, It's an ice rink just before, like, a Christmas carol service, so it's a nice big tree. I'm kind of picturing, essentially, you know, Manhattan, New York, but in Seattle somewhere. I don't know enough about yeah. Seattle. So we then have a funny scene where Jonah's getting ready and both Sam and Annie are explaining what not to do when you meet your sleepless sweetheart. We have a very awkward collar-tugging moment where Annie goes off on a tangent about making sure she's not engaged or worse, married before they pursue the relationship. Sam remarks about the bottom of the Empire State incident and we don't learn any more about what actually happened at the bottom of that elevator. In the end, Jonah hushes them off, he thanks them all, and he thanks Grace for their love and their help. He smiles at his dad, a kind of like extra silent thank you smile uh, for the talk that they had around the fire, and he goes off to meet his true love. Revealed to be Mila Kunis, why not? Uh, they <clears throat> take a moment of awkwardness, they smile to each other. She surprises him with a funny-shaped gift. He unwraps it to reveal a doll with her face on it, and she says, Did you get what you asked for? They laugh, they embrace, and he takes her by the hand and they begin to skate on the ice. The camera zooms out over a festive Seattle and we fade to black. And then Hawkeye comes in. Swings in the background. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, it's part of the Marvel. <laughs> cool. Uh, thanks, Matt. Uh, there Thank are a you. few questions that I've got, but there I couldn't... Re- yeah, I... So... You're saying they're siblings, but they're not obviously siblings, so they're step siblings, right? They're the like step siblings, half, yeah. Siblings. Half, half siblings. Yeah, cool. Uh, that was just one of them because I just when I was reading, it, I was like, siblings? They're not siblings. Uh, I was like, well, to... you know, you can see your stepsister from that age, like you know, he. He's... No, they're step and <laughs> only okay, step. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, cool. Uh, do you think there's enough in there as well? Same question that I had for Drew, uh, for Andy. 
this is a 90 minute movie it's not a massive epic movie this isn't um I think there's plenty in there. I think there's more room for enjoying Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan throughout it. Throw that in there. You know, we could perhaps have something where he goes on a date with one of the other Twitter followers or something, or he has a weird Zoom call with them or something, you know, ready for a podcast interview, something like that, and it's just really awkward. Um, We could see more about Emma Roberts' relationship, kind of, you know, highlighting the stereotypically perfect relationship and how happy she is. Perhaps we can see how she's not always happy. They might have a fallout before he gets there. You know, there's there's room to expand those relationships. This pitch is basically just the journey that Joseph Gordon-Levitt goes on. Yeah, you bring the pitch and not the... Uh, just bring you the pitch, not the script. But yeah. I did bring you a line today. <laughs> you did. Stepped You're changing, up. Matt. It's only taken 36 episodes. Uh, new year, new me, guys. New year, new me. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, what is your movie saying? What are you saying with your movie? If anything, you might just be nothing, but... I don't know. I think it carries on this kind of more fairy tale idea of a rom-com. Um, where Sleepless in Seattle, the first one, was perhaps a bit of a tongue-in-cheek version of a rom-com. I feel like this one's just a lot more of a floaty, fun, loving movie where you, you know, if you're a fan of the first film, you get Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks back. Uh, If you've never seen that movie before, they're just nice additional characters to have in. Um, And it's all about following, really, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's journey Again, if you watch the first movie, Jonah, you don't really see how he deals with the grief of it all. And I think it's a good opportunity to look at as he's grown up. Are there scars from his mother's passing? Is there something that, you know, he's not quite processed or not quite dealt with properly? Nice. Uh, Now, the last question. Uh, I was looking at your uh, pitch when you were making an edit to it Uh, it's a good thing that i saw it just before now who did you originally cast before you chose joseph gordon levitt (laughs) i originally had adam devine yeah it just wouldn't like it was too he's too comedy for it to be romantic yeah so i decided to go with someone a little older as well but because i couldn't really work out whether the kid was like eight or 12 so it's like someone like joseph gordon levitt is sweeter he's more of a romantic lead sorry adam um but he's also a bit easier to cast in a wider age range yeah i mean uh, yeah joseph gordon levitt is 40 years old which i looked up i was like wow uh and then so yeah uh that's it that's all i wanted to know from yours <laughs> i love that uh, you call it out something that's not even in my pitch <laughs> you just give me them guys fuel you you need that fuel boys you know that <laughs> um so i need some help from you uh i'm gonna hand it over to you to argue your pitches uh pick out holes pick out anything you want uh so that you can win me over to make me pick your Pitch. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll right, go okay. first. I'll well, take that one. Okay. Um, I enjoyed both. It's Valentine's. I love you, boys. I loved your <laughs> yeah. pitches in some ways. Um, didn't love other bits about it. Uh, Andy, I enjoy that you're going for something very different. Um, enjoy that you're kind of using Andrew Garfield in a key uh, frame right now. I feel like, are you inspired a bit by Tick Tick Boom? Because this is a bit episodic like that. 
yeah, um, yeah, I yeah, felt yeah. like there bit. was an inspiration. Amazing mm. movie, by the way. Um, but yeah, I felt like that kind of journey. It's. I'm intrigued by it. I must admit, I find that I struggled to see the comedy side of the rom rom com in there a little bit. Um, where perhaps Drew and I's are a little lighter. Yours is quite uh quite weighty. Um, and I'm gonna call you out. I I hate to call you out, but I'm gonna call you out on something that you said to Ross's question when he asked, "What do you want people to take away from this movie?" or something like that, and you said. You want people watching it to wonder if they're happy. In a rom-com, you oh, want people to hold wonder on. if I, I didn't, no, no, I didn't no, no. say it in this yeah. I should say in this accent, first of all. Um, yeah, no, I want people to question their, their relationship. Ideally. Rom-com? Yeah. They're meant to be fun. They're meant to be happy movies. Meant to be fun coming from yours. <laughs> you know, uh, I've got to more, take this, more, more I've got to take this girl that I've dated to see uh, Sleepless in Seattle yeah. 2, uh, whatever the title was. And he's like, I, uh, I don't what think is I want to be with you anymore. <laughs> That's what all rom-coms do. They make you question your relationship. Is this one supposed to be the one? Um <laughs> So no, my you're talking about comedy. Mine will have plenty of comedy. That's like half their relationship is comedy, and the other half is like hate. So when they're at home, in the off in the in counselling, they'll be quite attackive and they'll be you know angry. But at home, we will see a more light, funny side when they're like arguing about TV or anything like that, or um, you know ordering. So yeah, uh, it yeah. Might, so it might it'll be, be very mundane things that they argue about and they fall out about. Yeah, like. Couple apart, like things apart in the house. from when yeah, yeah, yeah. someone who has a deathly peanut allergy, <laughs> like she's okay, yeah, they've only been together for four months. Yeah. But if you are deathly allergic to peanuts, I think if you're with someone for more than a week, you let mm. them know that you are deathly yeah, allergic. Yeah, but she, she didn't ordered... hear. It. That's the thing. He he called up to the stairs or something, yeah, and she's no, no, in no, like no, her room, no, and no, she's no, like, no. Oh, 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 you right, just so. don't. The idea that they would order any food that would have peanuts, and then she'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah I, oh yeah, that one's I, got peanuts in it." The thing is, I totally agree. I need them to basically to be in hospital just because that's a grid. But like, I like, I like the idea. Like, he's, I like the idea. He's calling up, going, "Is this, has this, has this item got nuts in it?" He's got the menu in his hand. But basically, I need them to be in hospital because I think that would be a. <laughs> but you can you can get around that with scripting. But I do think it's quite funny. He's asking, "Does this have nuts in?" It? And he's reading the menu. But um. That's fine. Yeah, so yeah, I come out in the uh, um, in the script. The, the other thing is, and this is only because I've I've seen a fair bit of Legal Eagle on YouTube, which is a fantastic yeah. channel. Um, yeah, for her to to turn around, yeah, I didn't, and I give didn't know him about the this. win. That would be yeah. a, a total breach of legal ethics. Like she could yeah, be yeah, disbarred yeah, for doing that. So, but that's the thing. She she uh, she's willing to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that'd be. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I You've also, I also my... don't know law that well, so I admitted, like, I don't even know if she'd be able to date someone like within two months or whatever after. Uh, but once, you know, that could all be worked finished, out. That would all I be fine. Like, yeah. the fact I like that she the... would like would be completely yeah. neglecting her legal duty. But that's just to, to, say, that's just to show that she she first had a first impression and has changed, and she's literally willing to put her job on the line. She's for a I like that she was crawling for an event. That's my favorite. Yeah, they meet in a toilet. I'm, I'm a big I was like fan. still behind a bodyguard or something, you know, a security guard. But I was like, oh no, get her in a vent. That'd be, also, that'd be more funny. You kept calling Jonah Joe through it. Was that yeah. to throw us off so that we didn't realize yes. it was him until the end? Yeah. Uh, okay, right, cool. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, while while I'm talking, 
Um, yeah, I think I similarly to what Matt said, I think that Andy's is. I think it's a really interesting idea, and I really like it. To to me, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like a sequel to the original to me, just in any way. Um, and the other like nitpicky plot holey things that I'm picking out just because I'm a fucking pedant and I'm well aware of that. Um, and with Matt's, I think I I like the way that it's updated, but it does just feel like to me. You took the first one and went, okay, what? How would this look if it was set thirty years later? It's okay, a the radio is a podcast instead, mm. and then the rest is him being sad, and then he meets the girl from college, and they get together. And it just exactly. felt a bit thin. Well, at yeah, least mine I, get I... together in the end. I don't build the whole movie around getting them together for them to back. Psych! Oh, God, God <laughs> you wish. You wish, audience. You silly sausages. Oh, God He's going to meet some that, random woman at a coffee that the shop family, instead. The, the, the couple with a with a kid take sort of take the initiative to go and work on <laughs> I, the relationship and make themselves yeah, happy. I, admit, I thought you were going to go down that route first. I was like, is this is Chris Evans going to break up this couple? And then um, you didn't, fair play. <laughs> yeah, All right. so that would have been a better rom-com. That would have been a better rom-com. Let me go through Matt's because it's going to be quick. I also agree it's basically kind of like an updated reboot of the first one. I don't think there's enough in it. I do think, again, like Drew, is pretty thin. There's no set pieces. There's no big scenes. There's nothing to really like remember. I did like the terrible Christmas joke. Um, but the big thing is, it's not for me as a rom-com, you know, specialist. Uh, it's just not rom commy enough. It happens. The only like real rom-com is like right at the end. Um, from the guy that writes the courtroom drama rom-com. Sorry. Yeah, but mine's yeah, still got more your, romance than yours. Your feedback on board. Mine's still got more romance than yours. Um, Drew's. What have I got with Drew's? Oh yeah. Also, I don't, again, it's the thing with Drew. I quite like Drew's because I feel it's kind of like mine. It's not like a you know beginning, middle, and end. It's a chunk of this guy's life um but i don't think it's that rom-commy because he doesn't i know mine say don't like win at the end the idea is a kind of hopefully half the people think they win but like the fourth or the fifth time people are watching drew's film what are they building up to obviously in rom-coms they're building up to everyone kind of getting together and then you have this big oh i love you but i don't love you that feels like it's like near enough near the end no, and then that's, he just kind that's, of that's the all is lost moment at the end of act two We've still got all right, of Act then, 3 to go. Act 3, he... Act 3 goes is... The gym so and goes, 3, the whole of Act 3 is him having dinner with his parents. Yeah. <laughs> that is a he goes, fucking he goes boring back to Act work, 3. Has that a gym. is Jesus. The, the big heartfelt <laughs> moment, the big heartfelt return of Tom Hanks and Meg like, Ryan having a massive conversation of it's a warm, warm-affecting <laughs> conversion about how, yeah, like, real time the, how their relationship dinner. as a family affected him growing up. And and mm. affected the way he interacted with women, and him having a big life changing realization about how he needs to live his life to be happy. Oh God forbid that be Act Three of a movie about human relationships. <laughs> well, I mean, if mine's light, that makes that just as light. Surely Yours, that course, doesn't give light. him any benefits. <laughs> <laughs> My, well, yeah, his is his is ninety minutes because thirty minutes is sat having dinner with <laughs> mum and dad. <laughs> What the fuck? That's not an argument. I'll just chuck. I'll just make my Thanksgiving dinner a fucking hour long. Then there you go. Yeah, Happy days, boys. We got a movie. <laughs> I think even though mine is mainly about them maybe getting a divorce, it's the most rom com It's got the romance and it's got heart and it's got comedy and it leaves the audience kind of half wondering. They want them to get together. Half they should break up. 
Mine it is appealing is to a young movie. audience that listen to podcasts anyway, and it's introducing an older audience to the medium of podcasts. And I tell you what, boys, our numbers are going to fucking fly up when we do this, because suddenly they're all going to be like, oh my God, I can just listen to Sleepless in Seattle whenever I want to. Amazing. I can listen to what can I listen to? We've got to change the game when yeah. we induce, when we introduce, we don't induce them. We introduce them. We induce something on the brain. Someone's on the brain here, boys. You'll find out soon, listeners. Uh, I'm introducing um, an older generation to to podcasts uh, a um, noble for me, idea I think all that rom-coms. is fucking brilliant <laughs> uh, alright okay I think I've made my choice um, Andy I like yours however you keep saying yours is the most rom-commy but you've subverted the rom-com uh, you're, you're subverting the rom-com it's like a rom-com within a subverted rom-com. Uh, so it's just a bit too opposite for me. Um, I don't think it is rom-com. I think it's actually not. Um, and if you're trying to not be a rom-com, then it can't be uh, a rom-com. Can and it I've be said, a rom-com? Can you say, if can he's you in say a rom-com about five more times? Yeah. That would be great. <laughs> I think after you said it the last time, you were a bit like, this now doesn't feel like a proper word. Wrong come, wrong come. Matt, yours is good. Yours is good. I like the, the fact that you're sort of bringing a modern day audience to uh, a film that probably the modern day cinema like young'uns haven't seen. Um, and I like that you're introducing podcasting into it. It's always good. <laughs> Uh, I do agree. It's a little bit light on um, substance, but, you know, yeah. Um, and Drew, I like yours because I really I like the expansion of what this kid would be like uh, and what he would feel like love is now. Um, after growing up, seeing that, um, and I think uh, Chris Evans is a really good fit. Um, yeah, your, your act three is a bit is a bit long and i do worry that people may uh may be like well where's where's uh where's meg ryan and uh tom hanks maybe that maybe don't know you can't knows. say it would be too long and then yeah, say the they got a whole act in it basically then yeah <laughs> <laughs> well yeah okay yeah true i can say whatever i want yeah, yeah, i'm the host <laughs> so I, but there can only be one winner and this week uh the winner of uh, Sleepless in Seattle is Matt Rushton. Shut up. <laughs> what is this? What? No. He was like, shut up. When I was reading that. it, I was like, yeah, this, this seems yeah. like a, a sequel slash reboot for the modern day yeah. people. That's what and... we said it was a reboot. Yeah, it's yeah. the same movie. Yeah, yeah like, but of course you'll like it. You watched the first likes one. Everyone reboot so... is exactly the same as the original, <laughs> all right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Everyone around the world goes, you remember, oh, yeah, that fucking, all that money <laughs> spent on the same thing just 30 years later. Yeah. Wow. You'd be quiet, you subverter of genres, and then go, oh, it's it's the genre that I'm doing. What do you but mean subvert to the genre? They're like angry in the day, and then like comedy in the night. It's not just a rom-com where the romantic leads don't meet until the end it's rom-com where we don't meet the other romantic lead until the end the audience doesn't meet yeah. the other... anyway 
Who's anyway, here? don't need her. We've got so much romance in it. Don't need her in a rom-com. Fuck her. We didn't need Meg Ryan in, in the first one, did we? City. It's fine. We see how happy his mum and dad are. We see how happy his sister and her fiance yeah, are. You don't have to. Ooh. I've already told you one. Yeah, Doesn't matter. <laughs> Matt, what 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 are we going to be doing next episode on Sequel Pitch? Okay, guys, strap yourselves in. I'm a rule breaker, baby. We're going, oh. we're going, we're taking this podcast to a new direction for the first. I mean, I'm not really. I'm kidding. We are very lucky to welcome M from Verbal Diorama as a guest host with me next oh. week. Uh, next Ooh, episode. Guest pitcher. There you go. We're really turning it up now. You've got some competition, chaps. But in order to welcome this guest pitcher, we've got to do things a little bit different. Gentlemen, you are going to pitch for me the 1999 desert-dwelling classic, (laughs) The Mummy. (laughs) And we are doing the first Mummy. We're not doing the sequels. We're not touching that shite. We are going back to best. Uh, and you're going to pitch me sequel sequels to the, to the original Mummy. Straight mummy. to the source. Nice. We've all nice. got to have the rock in it. We've all got to have the rock. It was in the second one, so it's canon. <laughs> <laughs> we're not, we're, the second one doesn't yeah, exist doesn't in my exist. world anymore. We're doing a Halloween. We're, we're doing yeah. a, a sequel. Yeah. We're ignoring everything that came afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have no one but the rock in mine. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Just multiple rocks. Clones of rock. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, bring back the clones. <laughs> uh, bring back the clones. Um, <laughs> so there you have it. We are going to be doing Mummy next time on our uh, episode 37 uh, with special guest picture M from Verbal Diorama. So tune in for that. That's going to be amazing so just before we go i wanted uh, to say a quick uh shout out to anyone who's uh, been giving us any uh sort of twitter messages mark asworth he's uh he's been really like heavy on bigging us up so big up himself as well um and if you guys want to tweet us message us let us know anything you want um there's a new thing on Spotify now as well where you can give podcasts a rating as well. So give us a rating. Give us a rating on iTunes, Spotify, anything you listen on. That would be really great. And it will enable us to grow the podcast and grow the family. Like we want, we want to make this podcast the best it can be and, the biggest, and have the biggest fan base. So please, please, please uh, tweet us. Tell your friends. Um, and that will be great. You can find us on all social medias, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, yeah, those are all available for you and your fingers. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't ever say that again. Um, so all that's left to say is goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Drew. Goodbye, everybody. It's goodbye from Andy. Hashtag justice for Walter. <laughs> and it's goodbye from this week's winner, Matt Rushton. Love is for the way you, you look, look at me. me. Oh, oh it's for the only one. One. is very, very, very extra, extra ordinary. Good luck.
Fox yeah, taking yeah. all this <laughs> to the edit on this one. Love. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Goodbye. Happy Valentine's Day.